When I chose our Spirit Flicks movie for this Sunday, Ocean's 8, I figured it would be a nice, light-hearted romp, a fun one to preach on. I didn't expect to be delivering this message into my phone for all of you to hear so far away in so many ways from our beloved gathering space this morning. But even though this week, in both the larger world and in our own spiritual community at Wellsprings, has brought us a lot of unexpected twists and turns, the core message that I intended to share with you all from this film actually still works. You see, Ocean's 8 is a heist film, a classic genre where career criminals plan and execute some super complicated plot to steal or lift, heist, right, something of great value. The Ocean series of movies that we know from the last decade or so play homage, actually, to an older series of Rat Pack films from the 1950s and 60s. They're all about, essentially, a group of friends who come together to become a team to work as a team, carrying out a very detailed plan in service of usually some unscrupulous, morally questionable goal. But one of the things that's so fascinating about heist films is that they show how we can use and leverage power. The word heist actually comes from a mispronunciation of the word hoist, right, to lift. In a heist film, the characters play with our expectations. They play with rules and conventions. They play with all sorts of levers and pulleys to get things to move in a different direction than they're supposed to, to lift things that they should not have the power to lift. Part of why I think we enjoy watching these movies so much is that these teams of con artists are artists. (laughs) At the end of the day, right, they upend the way power is supposed to work, and they do it creatively. They do it with style, with flair. There's always that great emotional payoff at the end of a heist movie as they somehow pull off the thing that it seemed like they could never possibly do, as they just nearly get caught, but they make their way out of danger at the last second. We have fun watching how power can be leveraged, how strength and victory can come from the unexpected place, the bottom, the sideline how they can somehow, in these movies, make the impossible happen. I felt that way this week, watching one of the few bright spots for me in the news over the past few days. The primary win of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Queens, New York. If you've seen the video or the pictures, you know that her face in that moment of victory made it pretty clear that even she wasn't so sure she could pull this off, this primary win. A 28-year-old Latina working-class political novice from the Bronx, running as a democratic socialist who 
uh, mind you, didn't even have a Wikipedia page before Wednesday. I know because I checked when I saw the news that she won on Tuesday night. <laughs> if she wins, Alexandria, if she wins in the general election, she'll be the youngest woman ever elected to the House of Representatives. And not only that, she will be unseating a 10-term incumbent who was the fourth highest ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives. That is certainly an example of a burst of victory that comes from an unexpected place. And I really needed a story like that this week. I think many of us needed some injection of hope like that. Our hearts continue to be broken by a sense that our country, maybe our world, is full of people who, at this point, not only don't see eye to eye, but I see some of us wondering if we actually even live in the same country anymore, if we have some of the same shared fundamental core values anymore, if we can even see eye to eye enough to find our way forward together. That is a scary and unsettling thought because it seems instead like what is happening is that perhaps damaging each other has become the way forward. It's certainly an option we see people choosing more. It breaks my heart to see that because I want to live in a world where we seek care, not damage. And we saw some more damage this week. One of the toughest and saddest events to touch our lives just three days ago was the shooting in Annapolis, Maryland. A shooting in the newsroom of the Capital Gazette newspaper where five people were killed. Some of you might know, especially if you've been around Unitarian Universalism for a while and you have some connections in our faith tradition, you might know that one of the five people that was killed was a, a sibling in our faith movement. Wendy Winters was 65 years old, a longtime Unitarian Universalist, and a member of the UU Church in Annapolis. Wendy was not just a member. She was a leader in that church, a fixture in that church. Wendy was central enough to the heart of that community that even though I've never met Wendy, I don't know anyone who goes to that church. I've never served that church in Annapolis. I've never even attended an ordination or any other kind of event there. But on Thursday afternoon, when the news of that shooting broke, I could, and I did, watch the heartbreaking progression in real time of people I know across the country on Facebook, the ministers at her church now who I do know, the folks that I know who maybe now live in Boston or D.C. but used to attend Annapolis. I watched in real time, watching them all sign on to Facebook and asking, posting, does anyone know if Wendy's okay? In real time, as they posted, tagging her, tagging her name, calling out to her, please check in, Wendy. 
We love you, Wendy. We're praying for you, Wendy. And of course, she never checked in. Wendy, Wendy Winters was the beloved congregant of my colleagues, John and Christina and Anastasia. She was a youth group leader to my friend, Sean, when he was a teenager. And like I said, I never met her. We didn't know each other. But she knew my friends. And there's something so strange and so sad that happens when an event like this that seems like it's far away suddenly pierces your heart and sits there hard and heavy inside of your heart like a musket ball or something the weight of it there's a reality to that a realness that's hard to put words to that's hard to name it's easier to describe the feeling it feels like vulnerability it feels like fragility some kind of devastating aliveness an aliveness that is open and soft and tender an aliveness that knows really 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 that it is at risk and because it is at risk that feels a fierce love for its own being an aliveness that feels the fiercest brightest light of love for being here in this body and on this earth in this moment with these people in this place we don't have this feeling all the time of devastating aliveness and I'm kind of glad I think it would be exhausting but I am seeing as we have more of these moments as I have more of these moments that we can practice for them because they will come we can practice so we'll be ready for them so we won't miss them in our fear or anxiety so we won't paper over them with our favorite numbing agent or distract ourselves away from those moments I think it's important to do that because these moments of our devastating aliveness have a power that we can harness unlike almost anything else a full awareness of the gift and grace of our lives and that fierce love that accompanies that awareness we know that that's a power that can move people across oceans and deserts we know that's a power that can inspire people to risk their lives for their neighbors a power that can inspire people to create a dream of a new country to do all kinds of things that seem impossible it's the same idea that's expressed in the only piece of scripture that I have personally tattooed on my body on my arm 
Second Corinthians from the New Testament in the Christian tradition, chapter 12, verse 9. It's Paul, the apostle, quoting the words of Jesus, his Lord, his higher power, quoting when he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is in our most vulnerable moments that the gift of our lives becomes most clear. In Judaism, there's a prayer recited twice each day at prayer services in the morning and the evening. It's a prayer that's taught to children so that they can pass it on to their own children. It's called the Shema. And the middle passage of that prayer specifically has its own name. It's called the Ve'ahavta, which means, and you shall love. It's become popular recently within some modern Jewish renewal movements to offer new translations or even poetic interpretations of a Ve'ahavta that speaks to our times today that speaks in our current language. One of those interpretations is from the author Aurora Levins Morales. Her Ve'ahavta goes like this. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy, Inscribe these words on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Say these words, another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roke Dalton when he said, Altogether they have more death than we, but altogether we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield, unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we will lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning. The exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot. The muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin. The sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry. The taste of food when we know that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back seat of a car and the children who suck on stones nest now under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win 
as if it were your child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. Then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is a scarcely credible rumor that the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands. Share water. Keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. Friends, Aurora Levens Morales, she's telling us to teach our children and our neighbors and our enemies that even if it seems impossible, another world is possible. What we teach, what we hold close to our hearts, reciting at morning and evening, that is what will become real. And so I will preach that message when I can. But even more importantly, I will teach it to myself as a practice so that I can be ready to share it when it matters. Another world is possible. Amen. And may you live in blessing.